We are raw and real Western women who have endured the fires of life. And though we carry the brands of our trials, we are learning how to satisfy our thirst with the well of water that comes from the only one that can truly satisfy, Jesus. Journey with us as we explore an unlimited range of topics. We will discuss our personal experiences, the good, the bad, and the ugly, along our beautiful journeys to the well, and so much more. Water up! Welcome everybody. Thank you so much for joining us on Well Watered Ranch Wives. Today we're going to open with the verse John 4, 14, and it reads, But those who drink the water I give them will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. I would like to go into a commentary to be able to explain what this verse really means and get a better understanding of it. And it says, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. Jesus knew that this woman, he is referring to the Samaritan woman, the woman at the well, and everyone in the village had to come to this well daily to satisfy their natural thirst. Jesus used thirst as a picture of spiritual need and longing that everyone has. Whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. Jesus made an amazing offer. What he offered to this woman and to anyone who would drink was something to give lasting satisfaction. The key is to drink of the water that Jesus shall give. It's common for people to try and satisfy their God-created inner thirst through many things or through anything except for what Jesus gives. People are thirsty. They want. They long. They search, they reach, but only Jesus gives satis what Jesus gives satisfies the deepest levels of man's soul and spirit. Drinking and thirst are common pictures of God's supply and man's spiritual need. Drinking is an action, but an action of receiving. Like faith, it is doing something, but it is not a merit-earning work itself. What does a thirsty man do to get rid of his thirst? He drinks. Perhaps there is no better representation of faith in all the word of God than that. To drink is to receive, to take in the refreshing draught, and that is all. A man's face may be unwashed, but yet he can drink. He may be very unworthy may be a very unworthy character, but yet a draught of water will remove his thirst. Drinking is such a remarkably easy thing and is even more simple than eating. Someone might object, I drank of what Jesus offered and I feel thirsty and empty again. The answer is simple, drink again. It isn't a one-time sip of Jesus that satisfies forever but continual connections with him. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The effect of this water does much more than simply satisfy the thirst of the one who drinks it. It also creates something good, something life-giving in the heart of the one who drinks. It becomes a fountain of water springing up into everlasting So, speaking of thirsty, 
Our first topic tonight is going to be thirsty but reluctant to drink. What causes us to be reluctant? Like if we know we need to drink, why are we reluctant? I think just listening to the commentary, it makes it sound so easy to drink. It makes it sound so easy to run to that water that just like you can lead a horse to water but you can't make it drink. That's exactly how we are. We can't just immediately take in because of our own mindset, our own thoughts, the things that we're carrying that we should have laid down that we don't want to just let go. And so a lot of times we find ourselves extremely thirsty and we're longing for that fulfillment of the everlasting water, but yet we just can't seem to make ourselves do it. Mm-hmm. Laziness. We're just lazy. Absolutely. Basically what it is. It's, I don't have time to do this, but you have to make time for everything else. A friend calls, wants to go have coffee, you make time for that. Or you make time to go do other things. But it's just straight up laziness. We don't prioritize our time correctly. Mm-hmm. Being undisciplined. Yep. Being undisciplined and not keeping yourself to what you know you should be doing. You allow your flesh to get the better of you and allow yourself to fall away. Yep. And like for me specifically, um, I'll spend time in the Word in the morning some, uh, provided that there's time with whatever I have going on with work. But especially in the evenings. I do a lot of reading in my Bible in the evenings when I lay down to go to bed. And my biggest challenge is Netflix. Book in Netflix. <laughs> I have to convince myself not to turn on the Netflix and to open my Bible. And as soon as I open my Bible, I'm like relieved and rewarded and it feels good and I love it. But I have to convince myself every time not to turn on the Netflix. Yep. Temptations, just like worldly temptation in itself, will keep us from prioritizing time with God. Like, well, I have to sit down, and then I have to find what I want to read, and then I can just go do this, and oh, I'll do it later. But it's like you never set aside time because it requires your time to sit and focus and you know get in the presence of God and learn. And for me, that's a struggle because sometimes I just don't want to think; I just want to sit there. Like, I don't want to. But you know, we thumb through Facebook or Instagram without thinking, so that's just why it's so easy. It's just a swipe. You don't have to apply yourself. Mm-hmm. And getting in God's Word, I mean, He wants to speak to you. Like you're going to self-reflect. You're going to learn and whatnot. So it's more basically for me, it would be laziness. Just laziness to have to put forth that effort. Right. And instead of I, I found myself because I struggle with sitting down to reading it, and then my mind would wander, and I wouldn't really think about what I was reading, and so I get more out of my quiet time if I, like, just turn on a sermon of, like, somebody that I like. I typically try to pick pastors that are more preaching straight out of the Bible or, like, related to, like, the Greek words and know the meanings and stuff, and they break it down that way. I like, I really like that a lot, and so I think I'm more of an auditory learner or whatever. And so that always helped me, like, even whenever I was in college, I figured out that if I listened to the lectures, I would pick it up more and I would remember more. And so I found that not necessarily, like, I can sit down and read, like, a few verses in my Bible, and that always helps a little bit. But it helps if I listen to that first and then go back and look at what they were talking about. That I get a lot more out of it Mm -hmm. versus just sitting down and trying to read. Like, you don't have to... It doesn't have to be a specific type of thing. Like, it could be worship music or whatever. Like, whatever works for you. But you got to figure out what feeds you. Mm-hmm. What waters you. 
I mean, it's just like going to the gym. So that he, everybody has a gym membership, but how often do they go? You know, like, I mean, but, it, but everybody wants to be fit or, you know, everybody wants that, but it's that time and commitment. But also, once you, you know, get to the gym, you may not like it. You may be one of those people that likes to run down the road. I'm not a runner. No, not you just got to figure out what feeds you best and so since I've kind of switched it up like it's okay that I don't have to read every verse every chapter every verse I listen to it a lot and I've found a couple podcasts and things like that that just go over the word or preachers that you know really get into the word and that helps a lot with just me growing too and it and it helps get get you in there daily and until you get in there daily like you're not going to see a difference I think the hardest part, like you were telling me about the gym, the hardest part is getting there. Yeah. Getting up or stopping what you're doing and getting there. The hardest part about getting in God's Word is getting there. Like, get there, make yourself, and go. Also, the, the spiritual warfare that is back there, yeah. that is my biggest struggle because obviously putting on the armor of God is what we should do at the very beginning and being able to be prepared each and every day by putting on that armor and the word is your sword and the devil knows that so what can what can he do to deter you from getting into the word oh well you're tired tonight or you had a really long day so you don't need to get into the word or you know any type of selfish excuse that we can make for ourselves it's planted by the devil it's all lies it's all deceitfulness and being able to open your eyes and recognize it, that it's not only just yourself, it is that spiritual warfare that's coming into play that is making you, I guess, be more reluctant to get into the Word or to... Or be lenient. Be like, oh, I can put that off till tomorrow. Or I can catch up with it later. But I will tell you, since I have started doing... Just daily, just listening to it or reading a verse here or there. It doesn't matter how late I get up in the morning. God always gives me like that 15, 30 minutes. And I'm never late. Like I always freak out in the morning. Like, well, I'm going to be late. I don't know if I have time for this, but I make time. I started to make time, and it has worked out every single time. Even if the world's falling down around me, like it's always worked out. If you think about it, in the end, that's the only thing that matters. Your job, you can be replaced. It doesn't. It doesn't matter. They'll replace you. You're gone. If you die, if you leave, whatever. Guess what? You're gonna be replaced. Yes. But this is setting aside time for everlasting life in heaven with God. So like your 15 minutes is worth eternity. Like sit down and get into it and learn what God has for you. And then you might find out that you don't have to punch the clock from five to nine. That He might have you on a different thing. Look at us sitting here right now. We all have nine to five jobs or constantly working and God's paving the way for us to do his kingdom work and fellowship mm-hmm. together and do things like this like you have no idea because you don't ask and you don't mm-hmm. receive because you don't sit down and take the time to get in the word like we're all you know thirsty thirsty <laughs> <laughs> well and there's no there's no stigma on how you do it right like he, he doesn't want you to just read or just listen or just this there's no rules he just wants your time. Yep. He just wants you to become present to him. Be in his presence.
and be quiet, be still, whether it's reading, listening, or listening to worship music while you do the dishes. The other morning, we went for a drive on the side-by-side after it had rained. It hadn't rained in weeks, and we went for a drive on the side-by-side and just praised him while we drove. Thank you for the rain as we drove along the creek that has been dry for three months and had flowing water in it. You know, just to be in his presence in general, in no matter what way it's done. I feel like I start, like if I'm having trouble figuring out what I want to read or whatever, I just automatically go into praise, thanking him for everything that he has done and the things around me. Like, you might not be able to just pinpoint something, but you need to start thanking him because he's blessed us with each breath that we take. And that's just, that's it. It's like 10% of your time. If you're going to do 10% of what you earn to him, he asks for 10% of your time. He gives you years to live, and he asks for just a little portion to spend with you mm-hmm. so that he can plant the seeds and so that you can go out and be that watering source that we should be. As we're taking it in, we should let it flow out with ministering or reaching out to somebody. How was your day? Looking for a reason to share Jesus, you know, a way. Or just seeing that smile that somebody sees. Like, I work in, you know, the EROR and meet a lot of new folks and, like, just looking them in the eye and being, like, honest with them. Like, hey, this is what's going on. I know it's not a great day for you. I'm here to help you kind of get you, you know, like, just mm-hmm. just being a little, just, just a little bit. And it, it goes so far with everybody because, you know, they're not having a good day. But being, sitting back and you know, just thanking God for just a couple minutes and thinking about everything that you have to be thankful about, I mean, that can change your perspective just like that quick. Absolutely. And people respond to the light within us. When, when you're the real, honest, and upfront version of yourself, even like you said, or whether it be greeting somebody in the gas station and actually giving them a sincere hello and looking them in the eye and regarding them as opposed to walking right past, people respond to that. They see the light of the Lord within you, and they just naturally respond to that, gravitate to it, Mm -hmm. which the Bible calls on that and says that it's going to be that way. Yep. I think pride gets in the way a lot of times. Like, there's so many different forms of pride that you don't even realize, like, for instance, setting expectations on things, like expecting God to do all of these great things that you put, you know, on him. And then come to find out that you get let down by them. It's like those are expectations that you put. God did not set those expectations. You did that. So it's like going and sitting down in your quiet time. It's like you expect to be talked to right then and there. Well, maybe, you know, God's not going to enter and talk to you right there. You're just sitting in his presence, needing to take that time out of the busy world sitting there so you shouldn't expect something out of it all the time mm-hmm. so I think pride you know we all often get mixed up with the prideful things in life and expecting more of God than mm-hmm. what we we should and just be thankful and I would see pride coming out in our responses to people too yep. like I said about talking to somebody in the grocery store or gas station a second ago um, you know you end up engaging with people that you might not generally engage with and your pride a lot of times makes you refrain from that you know oh I don't want to approach that person I don't want to talk to that person they're not my kind of people mm-hmm. you know or you're too prideful or oh I don't want to be seen talking to that person that's a bad one and it does happen because we do subconsciously judge mm-hmm. and yep. uh and our pride interferes in that way too when we engage with others and reach out to them it keeps us from 
engaging like we should. Mm-hmm. And how does that make the other people feel? Like, we should be Christ-like, pull everyone in, and instead we're doing the opposite if we allow pride to get in the way. Mm -hmm. I think pride is the number one crime killer with God. Like, pride gets in the way of everything. Like, it is the root of all evil is pride. Well, there are times, too, that we think that we have this perfect path set, and then whenever God gives us a different path, we're like, why did you do that? Like, your, your pride gets in the way of, I had a better idea, when God's like, I'm not done with you yet. I'm not done with you yet. Let me take you down the path that you need to go down. Mm-hmm. And it always turns out a lot better. Yeah, <laughs> and then always. you humble yourself and realize, oh, <laughs> yeah, you did know a lot more than I did. Mm-hmm. Speaking of that, a few weeks ago, we had a big transformation worship deal on a Sunday night. And, like, we had been planning for it for, like, two weeks ahead of time, like, the people who were going to be part of the prayer team and all of that. And we were all praying and meeting and doing all the things. Like, you could just feel the Spirit of God working in it. And so, like, in my eyes, you know, I'm like, okay, this is an appointed time with God. Like, he's going he's gonna to be there. His presence is going to be there, like, more than anywhere else. Like, because there's such a big congregation of people together. And it's like, I felt the urge that I needed my person, my hurt person, to be there. And it was like, I would do anything that I could do to get this person there. Where I got to find kids to be watched or, you know, whatever it is. Like, I made that way for him to be there because I knew that the presence of God was going to be there. People were going to be healed. Things were going to, you know, people were going to be saved. And, like, I just had to. So finally, I get I get this person there, and it's like in my head I have set these expectations so high. Like I'm like things are gonna happen. He's gonna come up here, and, and it's just gonna be totally different after this. And like through the whole thing of worshiping and everything, and we get called up for prayer, and people are coming and getting prayed for, and there was healing all the way around. There was salvation. Like people were getting saved and stuff like that. And my person never moved from its seat. And like. In my mind, I was sitting there thinking, like, I have brought my person here. Like, you are here, and my person is here, and I just need him to touch your garment, and I know that he will be healed. Like, where are you? Like, and, like, this was in my head, like, I would have never even known what was said. Like, I see all these other people who are getting healed, and I brought my person. Like, have you forgotten me? You know? And, like, it let me down just a little bit because of how I set my expectations. So, like, I kept it quiet, and the next morning I sat down with my my coffee and everything, and I was like, I'm going to talk to you today, God. Like, we're going to talk, okay? Like, my feelings is hurt. I feel like you have let me down. And, like, in the midst of him telling, like, I brought my person. You know what we've been struggling with, and, like, I just wanted him to feel your presence. And as I was thumbing through my Bible, he made me come across something that I had already had written down, and he showed me another form of pride. And he was like, how dare you set these expectations on me that you want and expect me to do those as how you want it. He was like, that's not how that works. He said, you have no idea what I did for your person. And he was just like, you may not have seen it outrightly. He said, but he was there and he knew I was there and I did something. So your expectations were on you. That was a prideful move and you're selfish. When I was sitting there, I was like, but I wasn't even thinking about myself. I was thinking about somebody else. How am I selfish? And he was like, that was prideful for the expectations that you put on there. And Mm -hmm. he was just like, I am always faithful. 
And he's like, and what I have done for your person, he says, I will be faithful in. And I was just like, okay. You have and to like let it hand. go. Yeah, you just let it go. But it's like, in that, he showed me, you know, like, you can't expect me to just, you know, give in to all your expectations. It's not how that works. You know, you have this image set in your head, and that's just not what it's about. I'm, I'm working. I'm faithful. Just remain calm, and everything will go in path. He mm-hmm. gives me patience. So, pride definitely gets in the way of it all. Like he does. He does. So continuing on from the story that Katie just told us in reference to her mentioning letting go, to be able to let go of all of these things, of our expectations, of our laziness, of our selfishness, our pride, our temptations, we have to to literally die to the flesh aspect of ourselves. The, The things that are worldly, the things that tempt us, the things that we want, the things that we think satisfy us short term. We have to let go of those things. We have to lay them at the cross, lay them at the feet of Jesus, and be willing to make the harder decisions that are going to provide us the longevity and the eternal life, the eternal rewards, instead of the immediate worldly rewards. Like flee from sin. That's just basically what it is, is to flee from it and see it and get away from it and pursue righteousness. I have a hard time with that concept. Because in my mind, it is, this is a test that you're going through, and you need to go through it and endure it and overcome it. And so I always thought fleeing would be a cowardly move, and it would be a disappointing move because you're running. And a lot of times we look at running as a negative concept. So it kind of got me into digging in and trying to figure out, what does fleeing actually mean? Can you flee? And is it bad? And 2 Timothy 2.22 says, So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. That gave me all of the answers that I needed right there was flee from your sin, run from it. It's not cowardly. In fact, you flee from that sin and then go pursue God to fill in that void that you have that you thought you could overcome yourself. And God says, no, run from it. There's nothing in there that says you need to sit idle in sin, whether it's mind or flesh, whatever it may be, run from it and then go chase after God. Go find all of the passions that God has for you in store and fill yourself. Right. Um, Well, like people think of running, once I'm gonna run a whole race. No, you don't have to do it that way. Like it, just because you're fleeing from sin, you, God can do it in little steps, or He can do it from just like cold to hot, automatically. Like bam, new person. Seventy-two hours. Like in seventy-two hours, Paul was like murdering Christians, and then he was, you know, Paul. So He can do it fast, or He can do it slow. Like if you have all these, if you have the, if that's your hesitation, like give one little thing to God. Lay that down. And then once you lay that one thing down, like, go to the next one. Like, it doesn't have, it, it's whatever works for you. God just wants our time. He just wants our, like, hey, I'll give you this. Hey, I'll give you a little bit more. And, you know, some people you see, and I think a lot of people get burned out by, you know, like, 
people that go to the gym all the time, like, yeah, if they're in the gym every day, they're going to look great. But if you show up one day, you're not going to have a transformation next week. Like, you got to put, you got to put those little steps in. Just take what one step at a time. Or overdoing it that first day and be like, I'm not doing that again. I'm never going back. Yeah. Yeah. It's like fasting for the first time. Like, not really knowing what fasting is, you know. And like, well, I'm just going to give up eating. Two hours into it, you're going to be hungry. You're going to be fine. You're like, I can't do this. This never mind. I can't do this stuff in like moderation, especially when you're not good with that. Like, I'm one of those. Like, we got asked to fast, and I was like, you want me to give up food? Like, you want me to give up food? Can I give up social media instead? Because I can so do that over food, you know? So, like, fasting is another one of those. Like, you have to take baby steps at. And I'm not good at the food. I like to eat, guys. I'm not going to lie. I like yeah. the food, too. I like to eat. And fleeing, fleeing's a choice. And so here comes this word again. Discipline. <laughs>
slack about it, they, they obviously don't, they're not for you. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's just how I look at it. If they're just going to give you problems, then it's just like, I can love you from afar too, you know. Because then nobody can help you. No. Like, <laughs> if you can't appreciate me trying to better myself in whatever it may be, it doesn't necessarily have to be just that. Like, I want somebody who's going to build me up, like, help me in the situation. If you see that I want to change something, what can I do to help? What, what can I help to, you know, make this go easier for you? I won't drink that margarita if we go out to eat. Like, mm-hmm. I can refrain from that if it, you know, pulls you into temptation. Like, that's my people right mm-hmm. there. If you're better in your, wanting to better yourself, show me. How can I help? What can I not do to help you? I'm going to learn something out of it, too. You might be ministering to them. What if they're struggling with that? Like, mm-hmm. you letting go of your selfishness is an outward testimony to people around you, mainly in your home in your circle, in whatever it may be, like, that's an outward testimony. Like, it's not easy yes. to do. Giving up the world or fleshly desires, like, that's kind of hard, yeah. you know? And how many people around you don't understand that, especially if they're not walking down the same path? They're going to look at you like you're crazy. Like, what happened to you? Why do you not want this anymore? So weird. Yeah. I've ended up having to ask God daily, like, every morning, I, I ask Him to come and be my life. And then I envision myself standing between the two front legs of this massive line. And he is the one who's going to head off my day because I know I'm not strong enough to always flee. I know I'm not strong enough to always run just as he called us to do. And so in those instances of God, I need you to be my line, fight those battles before they even come to me and starting to pray that daily has made a complete difference for me. And I have watched like certain situations just completely be blocked and I'm like, thank you, Lord. Like, thank you. I see what you did. Like, constantly giving him the glory for that. Recognize where he's keeping mm-hmm. you safe and protected. And when there are times that we just can't flee. We just can't. And he'll show you. Like, he'll show you before it comes. Like, mm-hmm. in your conscience, like, that is, you were born with the DNA of Christ in you and your conscience is that right there. That little, that little voice inside your head that tells you not to like that is God like that is his straight cord from heaven to you your conscience like if you know it's wrong even he's gonna be right in you don't need to do that you don't need to do that what happens is is we so often like yeah and push it off to the point to where that conscience no longer affects our thinking Mm -hmm. We're, we're numb to it so I mean it's like a self thing like the more time you spend with him, the more that conscience is in the back of your head. And he'll be like, you don't need to do that. This is what it's going to bring. And you can automatically veer it off. Or, hey, that person's having a bad day. You don't have to stir that fire. Remain quiet. Understand. Let's listen to see what the root is. Look past what they're saying because obviously there's something wrong. Like, mm-hmm. he will tell you. He will communicate with you all day long. You just have to let him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's just a let go of the flesh. Yep, and like it's so easy to build up those little bad habits, but they all just kind of like those white lies, you know, like they all roll into a real big one. You know, we all learn them as kids, but like it's a it's a different thing when you take one step in the right direction. Yeah, it may be hard at first, but you just got to take one little step at a time, and then eventually you'll see the big picture and you'll see the changes and you'll see God moving and you'll see working in your life, especially if you take it to him in prayer. Like, total situations that would be just like, you know, slam dunk arguments in our household have been totally resolved because like, 
saying, Lord, I know this is not going to hit this person well. Like, and it's always been an issue. Like, it's always, you know, but you can pray about it beforehand. Like, hey, give me a good perspective. Let me not set it off further. Let me, let me change. And the Lord, please just pray that it works out. And like, you'd be amazed at the difference you see in other people, how they react to you if you take that one little step. They got to learn how to talk to God. Mm-hmm. Like, husbands, friends, like, what are you doing talking to God? You know, you want to join me? You got anything you need to say? Like, we're talking to God today. That's right. Like, that's what we're doing. Yeah. It doesn't have to be an anointed, yeah, just like you said, bring it before anything, mm-hmm. especially confrontational things, you know, mm-hmm. things like that. Everybody gets so stuck in, like, oh, it's got to look pretty, it's got to sound nice, it's got to sound this perfect way, but it really doesn't. Like, God just wants the real. Like, hey, Lord, you know I struggle with this. I need help. (laughs) (laughs) Just like spending time with him, there's no stigma on how you talk to him. It's just important to stay in constant communication. How you do it doesn't matter. Whether you're just thinking it in your head, saying it out loud, or doing it formally or informally, it does not matter. It's just like spending time, just being in constant communication. 